Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Pleased to have you tuned in. You get that when God appoints leaders to lead on his behalf, he ultimately wants them also to be shepherds. Shepherding is not a well-recognised occupation for those of us who are mainly city dwellers. Shepherding is, though, a picture that God uses to describe his servant leaders. God's shepherds guide, they guard and they grow their flock. What happens when uh, they ignore the teaching of God's word, when they ignore God's people, when they don't challenge people's sin? They have failed as servant leaders. Lords of the Flock is Dr. Corbett's topic for tonight, a challenging look at being a leader. So this section is Lords of the Flock. It's an expression that Jeremiah uses twice in this passage, found in uh, chapter 25, verses 32 down to 36. So, so come with me now. We're going to start reading from verse 32 and we're going to hone in on verse 36. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. So Jeremiah has for some time now been telling the leaders of Jerusalem that disaster is coming. And their response to that was, no, it's not. No, you're so negative, Jeremiah. There's no disaster going to come. We are God's people. And, <laughs> Jeremiah, this, this may have escaped your attention, that great big blocky thing, sort of right here, it's called a temple, Jeremiah, and that's where God lives. We've got his address, and it's here. If we go in there, we'll meet with him. That's where he lives. And Jeremiah has not backed down. In fact, all he's done is given more and more detail. And something that is um, probably not helpful with our modern English translations is if we come back five verses, we come into verse 26, sorry. Um, it, it says uh, where he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's talking about the destruction of nations around Israel that had also gone into rebellion, he, he mentions this, and after them, the king of... Now, depending on if you've got a modern translation, it's probably going to help you out, and it's probably going to say, Babylon shall drink. But the actual Hebrew is Shishak. And Shishak was, was one of those code words that... The, that the inhabitants of Jerusalem were using for Babylon. It's a really interesting thing that Jeremiah says. He says, yep, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Egypt will no longer be a world empire. Never again will Egypt be a world empire. Media uh, will no longer be a world empire. And then Shishak. Now, Shishak is this code word for Babylon. This is code for the king of Babylon. Really interesting that Jeremiah has the temerity to prophesy that not only will God use Babylon to come in and destroy them, but the king of Babylon himself will be humbled by God. This is just like, how on earth could you believe this, Jeremiah? How? And yet we know, historically, everything Jeremiah said would happen actually did happen. It's amazing. If you have any doubt that this is the inspired word of God, just this book of Jeremiah is going to blow whatever doubt you have out of the water. So here he's dealing with lords of the flock. These are kings and the priests 
of Israel who were supposed to look after God's people. So we come into verse 33. And those pierced by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. Now, I want you to understand also, again, biblical language. Biblical language is defined by the words around it. We call that context. If we take the Bible in a wooden literal sense, we could think Jesus has wings. How often I've wanted to gather you like a mother hen, said Jesus. But we know what he means. So when it says that the king of Babylon is going to come in and he will be piercing people from one end of the earth to the other, it doesn't mean he executed everyone on the planet. It's an expression of speech. So they shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be dung on the surface of the ground. Verse 34, and here we start to get to the point of what Jeremiah is saying. And this is where we can actually see why Israel was in such a parlour spiritual state. We, we, we in our state of Tasmania have got leaders... Well, we had leaders who used to make reference to God. We, when we used to have parliamentarians that would acknowledge God, we've now got parliamentarians who brazenly say there is no God. We're not bound by any rules of this so-called God of yours. And if that's their thinking, why are we surprised about some of the things that they're now proposing over the next six months, such as postnatal abortion? Because it's a lot more hygienic to actually birth the baby alive and then do away with it than it is to do that messy. Can you see? This is craziness. And it's not anything other than a a fact that we've got leaders that are not honouring God. (laughs) Wail, you shepherds, and cry out and roll in ashes. Here's the expression, you lords of the flock. For the days of your slaughter and dispersion have come and you shall fall like a choice vessel. Verse 35, no refuge will remain for the shepherds nor escape for the, here's that expression again, lords of the flock. Verse 36, a voice, the cry of the shepherds and the wail of the lords of the flock. For the Lord is laying waste their pasture. Wow. This is Jeremiah attributing the, the parlous state of Israel's condition to the leaders, people called to lead. Now, when I read this, I think, man, God expects a lot of leaders. He expects them to set an example. He expects them to... Uh, be connected to him and reflect a transparency of relationship with him to people, to model for others to follow. Wow. Boy, oh boy, this is a, this is a really big deal. Now, what, what ultimately is God expecting of leaders? Well, he's expecting them to be servants. And here's my question. Who was the highest example of a leader in Scripture? 
Jesus. And I sure, thank you, I'm glad I didn't get to finish the question. Clearly it's Jesus. So think about Jesus, the model leader, the model shepherd. He is the shepherd. If you're looking for someone to shepherd your life, you don't want someone who doesn't care about you. If you're looking for someone to shepherd your life, you don't want someone who doesn't know what they're doing. You want someone who both cares deeply for you and knows what they're doing. Who's more qualified than Jesus? There's no one more qualified than Jesus. So Jesus is the ultimate leader. And I guess for some people, there's going to be, especially in today's culture, because we are, not, we are living in a rights culture rather than a responsibility culture. And I hope that there are young men listening to me right now in our church that go, I'm going to be a salmon. I'm going to go against the stream. I'm not going to be like the world. The world wants rights and no responsibilities. I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be someone who says, I'm God's appointed man in this place. I may only be 13 years of age, 14, 15, 16, whatever your age. I'm going to be a man of God. And I'm going to bear responsibility. And so Jeremiah was that. And here's Jeremiah telling his older leaders, it's because of your failure. You have not been servants. How hadn't they been servants? When we think of what Jesus talked about leadership, Jesus said things like this, Mark 9.35, he said this, and he sat down and called the 12. So he's just appointed these 12 leaders. And he said to them, if anyone would be first. He must be last of all and servant of all. What a powerful example of that when Jesus, on the night he was about to be betrayed, and what were his disciples arguing over? Who's the greatest? Or I'm the greatest. I mean, after all, Jesus mentions me first in every list of us. Peter may have said, uh, someone else could have said, like Andrew could have said, yeah, but I really think I'm the greatest. After all, I was the first one he chose. I mean, you can imagine how the conversation would be going. And so while they were arguing, what did Jesus do? Took his robe off, got a towel, tied it around his waist, got the basin of water and went and washed their dirty, smelly Mule dung stained, donkey dung stained feet. They would have literally been. This was not a. This was the lowest of lowest task. So when someone gets rostered on to open the door, oh, don't think I should be. I think I'm past that. Don't you? What? Sorry, hey. How does that work? How does that work? That's not a servant spirit. The Christian is a servant. Mark 10.43, Jesus said this, speaking of leaders who want to dominate others and lord it over people and tell them how it is, Jesus said this, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This is the difference. This is the difference. Here's Jeremiah. 
calling the king and the next king to repent. Despite the temple of the Lord, there he is, despite this temple. Don't say you've got this temple. Don't say this is the temple of the Lord and therefore we'll be okay. Don't say we're religious and we'll be okay. It doesn't work like that. That was Baruch, who's going to play a key role in the next section of this book. And so Jeremiah, a very young man, standing in front of Jerusalem, prophesying to the people, amend your ways, repent, turn to God. Man, boy, this is a message we need for today. Now, I want you to get that God's leaders are to lead by guarding people, protecting people. Every father here in this church right now is a leader. Not only are you called to guard and protect, just as Jeremiah was telling these leaders, the priests, the kings, that this is what they were to do, you also to guide. This is how we are to go. The idea of um, don't watch my life too closely, just do what I say, is not biblical leadership. That's not the way it works. And no father should convey that message to their children either. And a, a biblical leader is to help people grow. How are they to do that? Well, Jeremiah's already said in chapter 3 that shepherds are required to teach the people God's word. And by knowing and understanding God's word and applying God's word, they will grow. So a shepherd fails when they ignore to teach God's word. When they don't teach God's word, they are not being a shepherd. We're going to, if, eventually we're going to get to Ezekiel in this because Ezekiel is a part of the Jeremiah story. And, and in chapter 34, Ezekiel is talking as a shepherd. And he says, I went and sat among the people. And that's when a shepherd is a real shepherd, they smell like sheep. They're not aloof. They're not like over there. They're there. A shepherd smells like sheep. And as I'm calling people to love Jesus and I'm calling people to say, Jesus, I've not been a person who's easily accepted responsibility. In fact, I've got so many other responsibilities. I've just, I've not really taken up the main responsibilities that you'd have for my life. And today I want to address that. And as you do, it's going to mean not a title, not a position, but bearing responsibility. And, and don't, don't come to me and say, okay, Andrew, that's it. I, I want to be a leader. Give me a job title. Give me a title. No, 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 no. Go and serve. Serve. And I know that there are people, and I understand why people would say, I'm not a leader. I don't want to be a leader. Leaders are kind of up there. Not in Christ's economy. In Christ's economy, leaders are down here. I hope one day I can get up to be up to be up to be where Andrew Corbett is. Well, come on down. <laughs> Don't you can't ignore people. And and a shepherd too is is no shepherd of God if they don't challenge people's sin. Man, that went quiet. I mean, when we address Psalm 84 and we talk about the believer loving the house of God, there are things that can come before our love for the house of God, our love for God, expressed in our love for his house. 
And those things need to be confronted. I haven't met anybody yet. No one, no one, whenever I've done that, no one has come up and said, thank you. You know, I was, I was really thinking golf was becoming a major passion in my life and I want to thank you for helping me to put to death that idolatrous love I have for golf. Thank you so much. I've never had that. Never had that. People don't generally respond that way. <laughs> but I know that when I've had sin confronted in my life, I know the initial reaction was, but I love that sin. It's my pet sin. <laughs> I look, I go, dead, dead, dead. I look, I feed it. I don't want you to come along and kill it. Jeez. Look at it, look at it, big eyes. But that's why Jesus died. Jesus died. He didn't die to give you a destiny. He didn't die to give you a happy life. He didn't die to make you feel fulfilled. He died because your sin nailed him to the cross. My sin nailed him to the cross. That little furry thing with the big eyes is wickedness and evil personified, whatever it is. Okay, let's move on. Leaders. These leaders that Jeremiah is addressing, they weren't sacrificing for the people. They weren't making sacrifices. This is what I've discovered. I've got a thing at home that I have had since I was 16 years of age, and it's out of a Winky Prattney book, and it's on, it's sort of, I, I photocopied it and cut it out, and it's right there, and it says, Why No Revival? Winky Prattney wrote this, Why No Revival? Why No Revival? Because no one is prepared to pay the price. Why no revival? Because people don't really care. And I tell you what, at 16 years of age, I thought, oh God, never, I never want that to be the story of my life. I don't want that to define me. Leaders stop leading. They fail to lead when they stop making sacrifices in order to serve as a leader. God's shepherds fail. And who are God's shepherds? shepherds in this church well yeah it's me this is this is about my responsibility here as well but leaders fail when they lord it over god's flock i've had people say to me um you you should just go and tell them and just confront them and just tell them the way it is and there's something that i read in the new testament that doesn't sound that just does not sound like the way god expects leaders to shepherd people been here now 17 years, now into our 18th year. This is not how I lead. And maybe I haven't got it right, but I'm going to default to a gentle approach nearly every time. This problem of lording it over people, just telling people how it is and not taking criticism, and not taking direction, is, is a recipe for ungodly leadership. Now, whether you're leading a home group or whether you're serving, serving is leadership, whether you're serving in a way that you can't be told and no one can tell me the way to do it and no one's going to take this from me. If you can't lay it down, there's a problem. And in 3 John 9, we see this problem that Jeremiah is addressing picked up by the Apostle John. And the, the poor, unfortunate guy's name is Diotrephes. And so today, you'll often, well, depending on the circles you travel in, you may hear people say, well, that sounds a little bit diotrophian. <laughs> like you probably say that all the time. Um, don't you think that's a little bit diotrophian? Which, this guy, Diotrephes, John says this, I have written something to the church 
But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. You see the problem in this church? There's somebody who's controlling and lording it over the church. And John says, this is not healthy. This is not Christ. This is not the way we do it. It's a problem. Okay, so here's, you know, I'm, I'm reading Jeremiah saying this to the, to the leaders, the shepherds, the priests, the, the kings. And, and, and the question sort of comes to my mind, how did this happen? How is it that the kings no longer love God? How is it that the priests no longer love God? I, if, if I was a shekel denarii betting man, I would bet my last denarius that those priests were only turning up to the temple when they were rostered on. They didn't love God anymore. I'm only preaching to you today because like, I have to. What the heck? Someone please take him out and lay hands on him. This is, this is not what love for God looks like. How did this happen? How did the high priest, the guy responsible for all the priests, the guy responsible for the spiritual tone of Israel, how did he drift so far away? What happened? I could bet my last shekel I know how it happened. I reckon it started with one little compromise. One little compromise. And then I reckon the enemy kind of whispered something after the enemy observed his life. I reckon the enemy figured out what it would take and just gave him whatever it took to make him put God down the list rather than top of the list. What would it take for the devil to say, Andrew, you don't have to, you know, maybe Jesus doesn't have to be number one in your life. Andrew, what could, what? If we were just to, you know, we're not we're talking major compromise. All we're doing is saying make Jesus 1.1. What would it take for the enemy to offer you in order for you to compromise? What would it take? Do you know what your price is? For Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. What would it take? What would it take for you to say and justify it? Well, I, it's, it, you know, I, I can't come to church anymore on Sunday because at work they've offered me an extra 50 cents an hour and they're going to give me two hours work and so I'm, gonna t- I'm taking it. Two, for a dollar? Jesus? For these guys, I reckon it was the power, the prestige. That became far more important to them than God did. What's with that? God, help us if that's what happens to us. And you know what? Jeremiah, in the opening chapters of his book, he, he forecasts one day God is going to raise up true shepherds. He's going to give to his people true shepherds. Jeremiah 3.15 says this, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart, God says who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And the New Testament speaks to those people that Jeremiah prophesied about. And many of the people that Jeremiah prophesied about are in this room right now. 
You are called to be a true shepherd. You may only ever minister to three, four people, five people, and don't you dare think that's not important. What would it take for you to compromise to derail that destiny? Man, I hope it's, I hope, I hope you, it's a blank sheet. I hope there's nothing that you would compromise your walk with Christ for what the enemy could offer. The New Testament, speaking to these people, this is from the Message Bible and we're nearly done. And this is what it says. If anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good. But there are some preconditions. A leader must be well thought of, committed to his wife, cool and collected, accessible and hospitable. He must know what he's talking about, not be over fond of wine, not pushy, but gentle. Not thin-skinned, not money-hungry. Now, for all of those except the thin-skinned bit, I'm doing okay. (laughs) We read on in Jeremiah verse 37, And peaceful folds are devastated because of the fierce anger of the Lord. When shepherds don't do what they are called to do, God is deeply upset. And we come to this closing verse, Like a lion he has left his lair, for their land has become a waste, And because of the sword of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger, their land has become a waste. Better translated, their pasture has become a waste. These shepherds think they can live off the sheep. God says, no more. That is coming to an end. I will no longer allow these people to abuse my people. This will stop. Here's my question for you. Do you have a shepherd? Do you have someone leading, guiding, directing, guarding, feeding, helping you to grow? I hope primarily it's Jesus. I hope my name's not on that list, please. I, I, I'm happy to be 1.1 or 2.1, uh, maybe not even 1.1, maybe 6.1, whatever. But please make sure Jesus is your shepherd. Make sure when you say Psalm 23, you've got a picture of Jesus in your mind. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. What if you're here today and you say, oh man, my life is in a mess. I'm telling you, you need a shepherd to rescue you. That's what these shepherds did. They were rescuing sheep. Oh, man, I'm so dry. Well, you need a shepherd to take you beside rivers of living water. Oh, I'm so hungry. My soul is so empty. You need a shepherd to take you to green pastures. This is Psalm 23. This is what you need. And if that's what you need, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer, a prayer that says, God, be my shepherd. I surrender to you. My life is a mess and I need you to surrender to me. And your life might be a mess and other people might call your mess a wonderful success. You might think that your riches, your fancy whatever, your new toys make you out to be someone and someone. And God says, that's a mess. You're in a mess. You need me as saviour. Will you pray this prayer? Let's pray. Father God, please forgive me of my sins. Come and live in me and help me to live for you. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross in my place. I want him to be Lord and saviour of my life. Teach me what I need to know. That's what a shepherd does. And help me to share with others what I now know. In Jesus' name, amen. Challenging words for those of us in God-appointed positions of leadership. What would the enemy have to offer you to make a compromise? More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Lords of the Flock, 
are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.